This episode is brought to you by Kids Not For Sale, an organization that is dedicated to protecting children from sexual abuse in the state of Nevada. For more information about this organization or how you can help get involved, please go to kidsnotforsale.org. Hi, welcome back to a Trafficking Free America podcast. Uh, Today, I am joined with Joy Rodriguez with the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. Um, Joy, tell the audience who you are, why you're with us. Absolutely. Yes. So once again, I'm Joy and I have the pleasure of working alongside with the U.S. Institute as the Director of Outreach. So really just cultivating and establishing relationships with our abolitionists, churches and organizations so that we can all collectively get involved in this fight against human trafficking. Yeah. Speaking of abolitionists, mm-hmm. you know, this actually what this season three is about. So right. have you followed our uh, podcast? Um, we had our first episode, our first season was about Ori's story. Um, it was about mm. a survivor story. Story. We dove into knowing kind of the details mm-hmm. of her life and kind of helping uh, show a picture of a, how modern day trafficking kind of occurs. Right. Like it's not this kidnapping asset. It's usually sort of a coercion, mm-hmm. usually uh, taking advantage of vulnerabilities. Uh, often what kind of past those person, those people are coming from uh, with sexual abuse and stuff like that. So that really gives a kind of a picture um, of what... Uh, uh, not every victim, of course, is mm-hmm. dealing with, but it, it gives a, a picture to help understand um, victims, survivors, so on and so forth, and also her journey of restoration, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't hear about, like, of how tough it is. They think is like, I, I like to um, compare it to, it's like, it's not a God's Not Dead story, where it's right. like, it's a two-hour film, by the end, mm-hmm. this grand restoration. No, it takes a long process. Right. Um, it kind of gives that realistic view. Um, and then the second uh, season is talks about our Advocate series, which is uh, helping the church understand what mm-hmm. human trafficking is and how Jesus has called us to combat that. And uh, what we do in that podcast is uh, with if you watch along the Advocate series, you can do like a deeper dive mm-hmm. into our podcast. And that's what the, that second season was about. It's a deeper dive with Francis Chan as a, with Kevin and, uh, our president, uh, Kevin Malone and Francis Chan talking about church getting involved with trafficking and whatnot. And then uh, we could, again, we do deeper dives into each episode. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be talking about the survivors who are in inside that story and whatnot. Um, but then what we now are wanting to do is talk about our abolitionist program. Right. Um, which is really our call to action to say, like, you've heard about human trafficking. Mm-hmm. You've heard about, you've heard the awareness. Now you're ready to do something, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, Joy, what 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 is our abolitionist project and how can people get involved with it? Yeah, of course. So we know as an organization, we cannot do this alone in combating the demand for human trafficking, which is why we created the abolitionist project, um, really wanting to direct those who become abolitionists to make a tangible difference um, with the resources, training and materials provided by us to them. And so we really want to be that central hub in creating a team of individuals who will become the movers, the shakers, the activists to take action immediately in their local community, Um, whether that be taking an online course online for free through our website or just volunteering at a safe home, painting something. Um, It's the small things that make an impact. So we really want to get our abolitionists educated, enraged and engaged to make that that impact in their community. So we want to connect them with organizations and programs to prevent future trafficking. And we also want to help guide them and train them on how to provide victim care services uh, to those who are in the life of exploitation. 
Yeah, um, and that's kind of what we're, we're talking about, um, sort of uh, four pillars almost. Right. And, and uh, kind of three strategies, right? Mm-hmm. So the four pillars, like, you know, there's obviously there's multiple things to do in, uh, to fight human trafficking by all means. Like there's joining specifically the U.S. Institute, on mm-hmm. uh, joining our efforts in our hub, um, helping us fundraise, helping us uh, build more awareness tools, helping us share those awareness tools, so and so forth. Yes. Um, but uh, when it comes to specific organizations, that mm-hmm. the things that we don't do at the U.S. Institute, but we need people plugging into these organizations, these partnered organizations that we're focusing on are foster care organizations, pregnancy care centers, safe homes and drop centers or Correct. as we kind of built our own program with the drop center is our project reach out program mm-hmm. so uh, what we're attacking that for now and we're what we're going to do in this season is actually interview um someone that kind of represents one of these uh, agencies today we're actually we're talking with godly daniel from a door of hope about foster care yes right so that's a, an extremely important asset to or extremely important strategy to uh, fight human trafficking and um, because it was like one, one in four, one in five kids. One in kids, four, yep. One in four, oh, yeah. They, <laughs> Fall one, into human trafficking. Yeah, yeah. And so that that stat in itself is daunting. Oh, alarming. So that's, that's uh, by going, by providing more foster homes and foster parents, like that's one huge way to dent the industry, right? Correct. So, um, and, but the, the strategy of, of how we're trying to ultimately end human trafficking, or at least provide a huge dent, um, is, uh, talk about these three aspects, prevention, mm-hmm. which is like education, um, uh, finding ways to keep, you know, literally Preventing prevent the future human trafficking. trafficking. Yeah. Correct. And then there's victim care mm-hmm. and victim restoration. And there's a little bit of a, dif- a difference between those two. Victim care is more like if you're currently in cotton trafficking, mm-hmm. currently in the life, how can we provide care for that? Right. And and kind of bring you, uh, pr- plant some seeds, provide uh, a way out. Mm-hmm. And then there's victim restoration, which a lot of people stop with victim care once they get to the point of victim restoration. They kind of just leave it as is. Right. That victim restoration is way more than safe home. It's like years of, you know, it took them, it it, it takes years to get out of the life. Mm-hmm. And um, so we want to focus on ways to um, help with that. So, but today we're going to be talking a lot about sort of a, in many ways, more prevention, so, sort of a victim care, because we're talking about foster care, mm-hmm. right? So the way someone goes into foster care is they've been usually abused or neglected. And, and Godly uh, talks about that in his interview. But while we're talking about prevention and kind of keeping this from happening, like a, a lot of times what's happening is that someone is in foster care, something has happened to them. Mm-hmm. And then they're going into, they get pulled into trafficking, whether that's while they're currently in foster care, whether it's later in their life or something like that. A lot of times someone is pulled into becoming trafficked because they, um, these predators prey on the vulnerabilities or past, um, you know, trauma that has happened in their life. Right. And so by us having um, a, a, a better approach um, uh, for providing care to these, to these children mm-hmm. in foster care, and more than just the young children, but also the teens and whatnot, that's causing, that's providing prevention tactics, right? It's ultimately, you know, we're not going to end trafficking overnight. That is <laughs> um, accurate, yes. But we, but we can end it through generations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, something that you'll hear in the interview that Godly actually said mm-hmm. um, was, you know, a lot of times these parents 
who have had their child taken away, they were also in foster care or they were abused. They were trafficked, right. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, is it like that surprising as we hear generational abuse, generational trafficking? Mm-hmm. There's only one way to stop that, really. It's to start a generation of that not happening. Right. right? And really so, breaking that generational pattern through those three things of prevention, victim care, and victim restoration. And, and you know, at Kids Not For Sale and the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking, I feel like I should mention, as, as kind of the, the ones who feed this uh, podcast, Trafficking mm-hmm. Free America, we believe that Christ is the only one who can truly save Yes. Christ is the only Christ is the answer mm-hmm. to saving these victims, to saving everybody. And what God has called us to do is show the love that He provides us, mm-hmm. right? This unconditional, like it's not about a transaction, like you convert to Christianity and then your life will get better. Right. It's like we're supposed to love on them no matter what, right? The same way that God loves on us. And that is our mission. That's our goal. And so we're gonna kind of talk about that in this interview. So I'm really excited. Yeah, same. to start. So so we, we interviewed Godly right before this, and so we're really excited for you to listen to it. Uh, it's going to be like a two-part episode, yes. so make sure to uh, look out for next week mm-hmm. as we kind of finish everything up. But as uh, you become an abolitionist with us, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing we're going to be plugging you into so you can kind of get a good understanding of where we're going with it, why we're going with it, so right. on and so forth, right? Yes, and in order to get involved as an abolitionist, you can go on our website, through the abolitionist category that we have. You can slide down there and fill out a form and pretty much um, you can sign up to join our next webinar, which will go more into detail of who we are as an organization and what we can provide you actionable steps um, in volunteering opportunities in your community. And so once after you participate in that webinar, we will get you plugged in and provide you more information um, on how to really bring that prevention, bring that victim care, and again, that restoration. All right, let's talk with Godly. Yes. Godly, thanks for uh, joining us, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Thanks, me, thanks for having me, John. Yes, of course. Um, so I, I want you to go ahead, just t- tell us, you know, what's your organization? What, what, why, why are you possibly here today for to talk to us? <laughs> well, my name uh, my name is Godly, and the organization I work for is Adore of Hope. And Adore mm-hmm. of Hope is a Christian foster care agency that licenses Christian homes all across Tampa Bay and actually down a little bit into the Suncoast region as well. Mm-hmm. So I assume I'm here because that ties very closely into human trafficking in our area as well. It does. It does. Um, we, yeah, we want to, I, I do want to talk about that, but like, um, can, can you like help us understand like what, wh- what, what is foster foster care right now? Like what, what is like, what, um, what is the modern day orphan? You know, like what we've heard these uh, terms and stuff like that right. and everything like what, what, what are you, isn't that the government? Like what, what is foster care here in here in Florida? Yeah. The term, I guess, orphan comes from the word of God. So we take that from James chapter one, verse 27. And so a lot of people in the, the church community know that word orphan mm-hmm. and use it a lot when they're talking about a child that is displaced from their mom and dad for whether it be a temporary period of time or, or a long-term period of time. So the Bible doesn't differentiate between that and it doesn't have the term foster care. Uh, but so a lot of people in the church community will use orphan. There's other words like stranger and fatherless uh, that also are terms in the Bible that can mm-hmm. be used. But here in America, we don't use the term orphan because usually that is specifically what they use for children whose parents have been deceased. And so they don't use that terminology. So they use words like foster care, which is something that uh, came about actually uh, from 
Christ followers, you know, back when, when they started something that was called like the orphan train system here mm-hmm. from New York. And then when the, the church kind of stepped back a little, a little bit, the government then stepped forward and created what was what we see now as the foster care system. And the foster care consists of like licensed foster homes and licensed according to state government standards. Then there's shelters that are also licensed homes according to state standards. And there's group homes that are also licensed homes according to state standards. And just different levels of need mm-hmm. of those homes as well. So there's different different levels, level one, level two, level three, depending on uh, the behaviors of a child and what, what a person is trained to handle. Also medical foster care and things like that. So those are different aspects of foster care in our world. Now, what foster care looks like in the United States, roughly overall, there's probably 400,000 kids in foster care mm-hmm. across the United States. And in Florida, there's probably roughly 20,000 children in the foster care system. And on a very specific daily thing, every day they say on average in our area here in Tampa Bay, about nine children are removed from their homes. And the thing that specifically has to happen is some type of abuse, some type of a neglect or abandonment itself. Has Th- that's nine kids every day? Every day, right mm-hmm. here in Tampa Bay. So that's what the wow. stats look like. They may not be nine, you know, every day might be... 15 one day and then, you know, three or four. But the average, when you look at a month and you divide by 30 days or so in a month, we're seeing about nine kids every day that are being removed just in our area. Now, just imagine that, you know, uh, nationwide as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about going back a little bit about like the New York train and stuff like that. Like, yeah. oh, unpack that a little bit for me. I've never yeah. heard of that before. So what was happening in New York was there was, you know, there was this group, this, this man, his specific name, I believe is Charles... I can't remember his last name, but Charles uh, was a reverend in that area. And he was working with homeless just people, population in New York. And it was crazy. And essentially during that period of time, there was a lot of of children that were also becoming homeless because of lots of different things like diseases that were causing death, just uh, uh, parents that couldn't take care of their children because of famine and and poverty. And so a lot of these children were becoming homeless. And he would start taking care of them. Uh, in what he started as the Children's Home Society. He, he created this whole thing, and he was taking care of these children, but realized soon after, like, there's just too many kids. There's not enough homes for these kids, and there's not enough resources he had in New York to take care of them. And so he had this crazy idea, mm-hmm. which was like, you know what? What if I take these kids and ship them out to Christian homes out in the Midwest with families there that can take care of each one individually? And so he started doing that, where thousands, hundreds of thousands of children were being shipped out on what they called now, at that time, the orphan train system to get these kids from New York connected to families out in the Midwest that loved on them and cared for them in the name of Jesus. And that's really how foster care started in the United States. Hmm. Did it become like a government-associated thing, like really quickly after that? Like, because I think most people think of foster care as a government or a state thing. So... That uh, wasn't government-related, of course, because he's just doing it out of the kindness of his heart and trying to work in a way to keep the kids safe. Because Um, nothing existed for that. Like, it was only orphanages and then, like... Correct. Correct. And so then then the government stepped in to, you know, bring about some safety and rules because sometimes, you know, not every family is perfect, so there has to be somebody to now govern this, and he wasn't able to do those things. So as that started happening, the church was less involved and realized they they felt like they can get the government to do some of these things and caring for, for these children. And mm-hmm. so they would step back, literally step back and, and think that, okay, here is our best way. We'll give money towards something, which is a government institution, to now care for those children that maybe we don't want to deal with necessarily on a regular basis. And so as they step back, 
the system itself was being created. And so when you create a system, it has to keep going, right? You have to create mm-hmm. the federal level of that, what that looks like, the state level of that, what that looks like, and it just keeps going down. And we have this massive crazy thing called the Department of Children and Families now uh, that takes care of kids who are displaced because who's going to, you know, to do the investigations for abuse? Who's going to make the determination for removal of that child from a mom or dad? Who is going to then care for that child after that? Somebody has to do those things. And so essentially that's how a system got created. Yeah, Godly, I have a question for you. So within your organization, we noticed that you focus on involving the church. I just want to know, why do you think it's so significant to have the church involved? Oh, yeah. we. I mean, for us, it's like a biblical mandate. We feel like God has called his church to be the ones who are caring for children who are in crisis in any uh, you know, avenue of life, like whatever mm-hmm. may be happening. We believe God is calling his church to be the ones to step up to do that because of his great love for each and every child, his heart for them to be safe, his heart for them to be loved, his heart for them to know him as Lord and Savior. And we don't, we just don't see that, that there's any other hope mm-hmm. apart from Christ. And so we, of course, go to the very agent God has instituted, we believe, in this world right. to bring about that kind of hope, to bring about that kind of unconditional love and really the, the change that's needed to uh, move fee- people from a place of just this cycle of abuse that continues to happen in their life. Mm-hmm. And we can try to do it ourselves. We always try to do it in so many different aspects of life where we try our best to work at being better, but it's almost impossible without you know the help of Christ and so without the Holy Spirit moving and working in your life. So we believe very strongly in that. So that's why we're saying let's go all into the church because we, we believe that's that's the, the group that God has called to bring about that change. At the U.S. Institute, we strongly believe that Christ has called the church to step forward in fighting human trafficking. Of course, you've probably wondered, yes, but what can I do now? Well, the U.S. Institute has a program that is perfect for a church group for you to join in and that is called Project Reach Out. Project Reach Out is a program that provides assistance to victims currently being sold for sex in our country. Through a specified program, we are able to directly reach these victims and point them to resources, opportunities, and help. Through this program, we have witnessed many seeds planted and victims become survivors who are seeking restoration. With your help, we can reach more at a rapid rate, showing women, children, and men that they do have other choices in life and that they can become free of this bondage that the father of lies have painted for them. Join us by signing up at usiaht.org slash abolitionist and make sure to mention in the sign up form that you are interested in Project Reach Out. We want to thank you so much for your support and heart to end human trafficking in America. And now back to the episode. And so um, we have here that data has shown that one in four or one in five foster children will become a victim of human trafficking at some point in their life. Is that valid? Um, And why do you think that is? Yeah, I think so. I think numbers that I heard are anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of the kids that are being rescued uh, have been in foster care. And so Mm -hmm. back in like uh, 2009 to like 2011, I got a chance to work with the uh, human trafficking group in Broward County, Palm Beach County in that area. And I was working with the FBI and Homeland Security. And I remember these guys saying, we only have X amount of dollars that we can do one rescue a month 
Hmm. And we rescue these kids, and 95 to 97% of them run back to their pimps, you know, at every time. And so they're they're saying, but the stats that we're seeing on those kids that we do rescue, like 70%, I remember that at the time, they would say, are kids that have been in the foster care system at one point. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that, you know, are being targeted. They're the ones that are being coerced because they don't know what love is. Mm -hmm. They felt they have experienced abuse and neglect in other ways. And so they're an easy target for someone who wants to kind of coerce them uh, in a way uh, where they're trying to um, uh, fool them into thinking that this is what real love looks like, what this is what, uh, you know, a family looks like when it doesn't, right? But for a child who's never experienced those things, right. they don't know. And so it, they become an easy target. Mm-hmm. In, in this example that you're using, like, was it children they were often rescuing? Was it adults they were often rescuing? Like, what was the situation exactly? Yeah, it was definitely uh, children. It was focused specifically on children, whether it was domestic or international, actually. So they had both groups, and they did notice, and their stats were telling me this, that the international kids that were rescued would stay away, maybe because, you know, you know wherever they were taken from, mm-hmm. but especially the domestic ones were returned back. And so they were mostly children, and so they're trying to provide them a place to live or something where they can get on with their life. But imagine children that have been abused and neglected, and now even more than that, trafficked to a a horrible, horrible degree, trying to get back to uh, a place of uh, normalcy, you know, without dealing with all the trauma Mm -hmm. that they have just experienced through all these years. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's impossible. Like, that's, that's another reason why I say, like, that's why we need the Lord. That's why we need Christ to step into that type of darkness. Well, help me understand, um, like, it makes sense of like why these children um, are being uh, coerced easily, right, into uh, a trafficker's hands or a pimp's hand or something like that. But like, help help us understand like if they're in foster care mm-hmm. in the system, how are they being coerced in, like at all? Like, are they being kidnapped? Are they like what what kind of what's the situation? Of how they went end up from foster care to that. Is it like after they were in foster care? Or like what what is usually the, the case? Right. It can be in so many different places. It can be when they're at home with mom or return back in different ways. But uh, the different things that we're seeing is, the, you know, this trafficking group is very strategic in how they do things. So they're training up even young children to go into middle schools, to go into high schools and bring these kids out. They're training them to go into shelters and to go into group homes mm-hmm. and literally speak to these these other uh, girls and even boys about a way to escape or a different life or different opportunity and coercing them to come out and walking into this world of drugs and trafficking. It happens all the time. It's probably less in, in a foster home because, once again, it's really hard for another child to be in that foster home. But even if, if a foster parent is not being diligent and watching over those things, I wouldn't be surprised if that can happen there. I wouldn't be surprised— if it happened, it could happen in a church mm. where a child is there and another one was sent in. And if we're not diligent, even in our own churches, that someone can come in and start taking those kids out, coercing them to try something different, try something new. Well, how, how can the church be more diligent? I think it's important for awareness. Big, big thing. Uh, I was just actually, it's so funny. Right before I got here, I'm listening to, I want to volunteer at my church. And so they've asked me to watch a video. And I'm Listening through the video, I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. Every church should have this where they're talking about possible op, you know, sexual abuse and different things that you need to look for where somebody may be grooming a child uh, or even a, another adult. And so it's being very open to say, okay, there's going to be different things to look for, but don't assume everybody you know, that mm-hmm. is, is 
so eager to become a volunteer is a predator. So look at that side. Like not everybody's a predator, but but don't just put your guard down. Be alert. See see things and then talk about those things. Like take it to a supervisor. If you see something that's really weird. If you see something happening and they were very specific on certain things that were like grooming type of um, uh, acts. They were like, if you see any of those things, go tell go talk to the supervisor right away and mm-hmm. see if there's drawings that you're seeing in your Sunday school class. That may be all telltale signs of something happening. If there's if the child backs away because you try to put your hand near the child, like they, those are all telltale signs of something may be happening. And mm-hmm. so awareness is a big part of being able to teach people on how to see possible abuse or, or a child that's been abused or a person that's trying to groom a child and being aware of those things from a technology standpoint, just everybody uh, making sure they're, you know, they have some type of guards on for technology. So if there's somebody watching what other people are watching on their computers in, you know, if you're a volunteer or if you're staff, I think it's important for all those things to happen to be able to protect a child in these, in these different places. Mm. Um, Godly, I'm, I'm curious to know, like if your organization offers like training for foster care parents. Yes. Um, and I'd like you to further elaborate on that. Yeah. So every foster family or, or potential foster family that has a heart to come in and do this, mm-hmm. everybody has to go through a statewide training that's been set up. And so for us, it's even more intense. So we make sure that we give you exactly what the state is asking us to provide in regards to training. But we want to be even more uh, focused in on how is this a calling in their life? How has God at work in something like this? And so mm-hmm. they have to go to, to roughly 30 hours of just foster parent training, which trains them on things like trauma. Okay. What are the what are the triggers that we need to be seeing? What how do we parent a child that's been through trauma? How do we co-parent with family members that have been through trauma and still help them learn what it's like to be a parent, which they've never learned, most of them being single uh, moms and single teens, mm-hmm. you know, that are trying to take care of these children, but just have no idea, you know, and they're losing their children because of poverty or because of, of, of not understanding what's going on. And so how can families come alongside to love on these these fam- these bio families as well to train them up? How to partner with the system of care? The system of care has so many issues. And if mm-hmm. we get too caught up in watching a system or, or um, being offended by everything in the system, then we'll never be able to do the ministry work that God has for us with this child because we're too focused on the system. Right. And so there's a training on partnering well with the system of care, how to, you know, talk to your case managers, how to be a witness to them. There's conversations on just the overall system of care. How does it work? Mm -hmm. So you know when you're walking in. And then prior to you needing a daycare, prior to you needing to go to uh, uh, to get an extended overnight caregiver, which is like a babysitter, we want to help you do that in class Mm -hmm. so that you're ready for it. You know where court is so you can get to court. You know who to call. Uh, from um, from the system of care, and you'll have a whole list of all the n- different numbers. Mm-hmm. So we try to do all the training up front so that they're re- ready and prepared as best as they can. But you can imagine uh, training 30 hours. Sometimes it's Saturday, sometimes it's weeknights. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of information. And so guess what? A lot of our families aren't going to take all of it in. We always kind of uh, jokingly say it's like drinking out of a fire hose. Right. And so you only get some of that information, but we want to be always there supporting our families. So when they don't have information, we can share that with them. Mm-hmm. And then also um, we connect families to each other so that 
they can be talking to each other as well. Because mm-hmm. there's seasoned foster families that can come in and, and talk to the ones that just walked in and say, hey, this is how you're going to get this done. This is how you're going to get uh, that done. You can go to this person. These are the def- doctors that are really awesome with our kids. Like there's lots of things that you can do where we just kind of uh, share so that a foster family is prepared for that day. I want to take a step back and talk about like what is – what is what are these children dealing with when they go from um, you know taking being taken from their home into placement with mm. with a foster family like yeah what is the situation so essentially across the nation but here in Florida um, when a, when someone sees some type of abuse or neglect happening in their neighborhood uh, you know in in the community they're going to call what's known as the abuse hotline and so there's a specific number 1-800-96 abuse that they can call mm-hmm. and when they call that number there's a person that kind of assesses the situation that they're sharing about what is abuse and that person will decide whether or not they're going to have a child protective investigator come out to that home that day probably within four hours to go investigate what's going on if it's not as serious it may be a little bit longer depending on what this person has just shared uh, with them and so what happens is that investigator will come out to the home and um, start asking a lot of questions, trying to find out what's going on. And they're essentially uh, assessing for safety, right? They're, the reasons they can remove are abuse, neglect, or abandonment, mm. but they have to assess safety. And so they're trying their best in that assessment to see, is this child safe? Can we provide services into this home to keep the child home? They'd rather keep the child in the home because there's way too many kids in the system of care. But if they can't. If safety is an issue in some way here, they have to remove. And so those children will be then just within like 30 minutes asked to pack up everything they have. Most most times it's just in a garbage bag. That's what we see a lot of kids coming in is just with a garbage bag. They don't have enough time to put it in a suitcase or maybe they're not able to get that. And then that protective investigator is trying to get this information from mm-hmm. uh, a, a bio mom who's losing their child or a bio dad who's losing their child. You can imagine like the, you know, how tense that is. Uh, how much information do you really get from them? What type of, you know, here's a baby that you're removing and maybe, you know, what type of formula does this baby feed? Do you have any diapers? Like mm-hmm. trying to think of all these things that are happening right in that moment. And you're just grabbing a, a garbage bag, putting stuff in that you think may be essential and then removing this child within 30 minutes from that home coming into a system right, where you're hoping that there's a home for this child somewhere. But if there's not a home, the child goes to a shelter or a group home. Or they, you know, sometimes in our area, which is sad, is those kids will go night to night to night waiting for a foster home that's going to become available, which is the hardest thing. They're coming from this horrible situation. And then they'll walk into a system that, I mean, it's not the system's fault. We just just need more families, right, that have a heart to come in and help. Mm -hmm. And so... That picture looks like, imagine if you walk into a hospital that has 300 beds, but you have 500 patients coming into that hospital. There's so many systems and processes that are going to break down in a hospital that tries to handle 500 kids when it's only supposed to handle 300. And so that's what the system of care looks like sometimes, Mm. where it's overloaded and the systems and processes that normally would have worked, you know, with X amount of kids in the system, now they're just breaking down all over the place you know, parts that are over overwhelmed or stressed out, those parts are going to break, right? right? And so when you lose even more people from the system to help, it becomes even harder. And so, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing that they're walking into. But our hope is that we'll have more and more people in the community that see what's going on, that are aware of what's going on, and get engaged in some way mm-hmm. where we will have more beds, more homes, 
than the number of kids coming into the system. And then you'll see a system that can really care and love for kids, uh, and then for us specifically in the name of Jesus. Well, um, you mentioned that you know it's very likely that a child will go and possibly become trafficked um, if they've been taken away from their home, if they've gone through all this trauma, whether they're in a foster home or not. So how how, how are we possibly preventing you know these children from being um, trafficked um, if if they're if they are going into a a, a more loving home, you know, after neglect and abuse and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I, I would say that, you know, I think from the numbers that I remember the FBI and Homeland Security was talking about, I would say probably 96 to 98% of them were coerced, right? So they're not being abducted. Maybe two to 3% are being abducted and, and taken into a life that they don't, you know, but most of them are coerced. And so that's why foster care is such a target. My, you know, when I look at the whole situation where a child is being coerced into walking into this world where you're going to, you know, drugs is a big part of it. So they'll drug you up and they'll, you know, ask you to do things that you didn't want to do. You thought this pimp was your boyfriend, but now this boyfriend is asking you to do these other things mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you didn't want to do. But the boyfriend is saying, hey, this is the way that you can really love me uh, and show me love. Like if that uh, child was in a home where they were able to see what true love really looked like experienced unconditional love like Jesus has shown to us, then I don't think that child would ever believe that pimp. I don't believe that child will ever walk into that world because they know the difference. They have been and experienced a love that's real where nobody has asked them to do anything for that love. Mm. It was just given to them without even being asked. And now this person is asking them to do something out of love and they'll know that that, that's not real. That's not what I want for my life. And that's my hope is that the more we engage with those kids and show them real love, unconditional love, Christ-like love, and then they'll never walk into this world of trafficking. Thank you for listening to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by supporters that are helping fund the awareness and education about human trafficking in the United States. In this episode, we would like to thank Elder Naharo, Christina Benedict, Amanda Dumas, and my apologies if I mispronounce this name, Katia Ventura Demito. If you would like to help support the Trafficking Free America podcast, which is brought to you by the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking and Kids Not For Sale, please click on the link below in our description. This concludes part one of our interview with Godly Daniel from A Door of Hope. Please tune in next week as we discuss more about fighting human trafficking by caring for children and teens in foster care. Thank you for listening. This concludes part one of our interview with Godly Daniel from A Door of Hope. Please tune in next week as we discuss more about fighting human trafficking by caring for children and teens in foster care. Thank you for listening.